While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you ever been in a worship service where you thought the preacher talked too long? <laughs> you can be honest here. I've, I've been there. I'm not always on this side of the pulpit. I was a district superintendent for several years. Every Sunday, I was in a different church hearing a different preacher. Often, I would see them building to the climax. I would think, this is it. They're going to bring it home. And then they went right on. They had another story to tell or another commentary they read. They had something more to share. They brought us all to the gospel ready to end, and then they went on. It happens. My wife, Mary, doesn't give me very much advice about being in ministry, but when she says, when it comes to preaching, David, if you come to a point where you think you should stop, that's the time. Shorter is always better for those sitting in the pew. Dr. Zan Holmes, one of the great preachers of United Methodism, he served churches in Texas. He taught preaching at our Perkins School of Theology at SMU, was our lecturer and preacher here one year for our spring lecture series. He was marvelous. I still remember several of the stories he told. One was about preaching. It was when he was an associate pastor, still in seminary, sitting on the chancel one morning next to the senior pastor. The choir is singing the anthem just before the sermon. And he says his senior pastor leaned over and tapped him on the knee and said, Son, you're up this morning. When they finish singing, stand up and preach the gospel. That sends chills down any new pastor's spine. It did for Zan Holmes as well. He said, I wasn't prepared for that. I was shocked. I wasn't expecting to preach that Sunday morning. But he said, as luck had it, I was in the preaching class in seminary that semester. So I had started a sermon already. I thought, I'll just get up, start that sermon, run right through it. And when I get close to the end that I haven't written yet, I'll just ad lib it and we will be fine. So the choir finished. He stood up to preach. He said everything went pretty well. He was preaching along the sermon that he had already done the homework on until he got to that point where he had finished writing when he thought he would think of something. He said, oh, no, I froze. I couldn't think of another word to say. I stood in the pulpit, sweat running down my temples for too long. And then he said this saintly woman of the church, this matriarch of the church, was sitting right in front of the pulpit. 
And she finally said out loud, help him, Lord. He said, I still couldn't think of anything to say. <laughs> but luckily, the organist, he said, began to play, and other encouragers from the congregation began to yell out encouragement, and then the choir began to sing, and they helped him bring the service home, even though he couldn't think of anything else to say. Well, Peter, in our text today, is still preaching he didn't forget of anything else to say. He's still speaking, it says, when others in the congregation began to speak. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Now here, the speaking in tongues, different than from in Acts chapter 2, is ecstatic utterances motivated by the Holy Spirit of God. We would be surprised if someone began to speak in tongues in our service. We don't break out in tongues too often in Methodist worship experiences. But it appears in this text that Peter and the Jews are not surprised that somebody is speaking in tongues. They are surprised at who is speaking in tongues. They're surprised that it's the Gentiles, those who they've been taught and trained to see as religiously unclean, outside the family of faith, unworthy in a sense. They're surprised, even though they're violating custom and religious law to be there as, a, as observant Jews. Peter's already said earlier in this story, you know, we shouldn't even be here. According to our religious laws, we should not be associating with Gentiles, and yet there they are. Peter has been grappling with this for a while. If you read through the book of Acts, there's other stories where God is working in Peter's heart and mind to try to reveal to him that all of God's children should be included, that God cares about all of them, that the prejudice which they're practicing is a human invention, not a divine mandate. Both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, are sensing that God is pulling them together, that God has invited them to come together in Jesus Christ. And because Peter has been grappling with this a little longer than these other Jews that are with him, he seems a little more prepared, a little more ready to respond to what they're seeing God do in their midst. So in verse 47, he says to his group, Can anyone... Withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. His experience of the risen Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit has opened him up to see that God is working surely in the Jews, but well beyond the boundaries of the Jewish family as well. Peter sees that God is doing a new thing. 
and is inviting him to be a vessel through which these two groups divided can be united in Jesus Christ. Can anyone withhold the water? Writer S. James Meyer is a Christian author. He's writing about a couple he knows who are raising young children. They're exhausted. They think they need a night out. They plan a night out. They secure a babysitter. The babysitter comes over. They get everybody set. They go to the garage. They get in the car. And he says to her, where do you want to go? There's a long pause. She says, I don't know. Where do you want to go? And he said, after another long pause, I didn't plan anything. I, I just want to be with you. I just want to go someplace and have dinner where we don't have to share baby talk. They realized that they'd done everything to get the babysitter, and neither one of them had planned anything beyond that. After they sit in silence for a while, she says, Well, I'm not hungry for Chinese. And Meyer says, Do you see what's happening here? He says, so often humans find themselves in this place when faced with a hard decision or a hard question, we often avoid the complexity of trying to think through all the different options and evaluate which one we prefer or which direction we want to go, and we default to a simpler question. We switch to a simpler question to avoid the difficulty of thinking deeply. He says, you know, if it's this restaurant or that, <clears throat> probably no big deal. Yes or no, do you want Chinese? Probably doesn't matter that much. <clears throat> but he says, when we're dealing with the deeper questions of life, when we're dealing with our mission or our purpose, our values or who we want to be as a person of faith and we take the default way we are trapping ourselves he gives an example he says a hard question for example for christians is how do i connect with people different from me and he said but so often when you try to engage someone in that deeper discussion they want to default to the easier question am i a good person do i have good intentions yes or no he says that's not necessarily a wrong answer, but it leaves you living in a dualistic way when Jesus rejected dualism. He says it leaves you living what he calls a superficial spirituality. I want to read you a few of the sentences he wrote. He says it makes it easy but it also creates a polarizing division in our culture. It sets up a forced choice fallacy with only two options and no middle ground. Jesus faced the same thing 2,000 years ago. The complex question was how do we balance the mandates of the law against the teaching of compassion and forgiveness and he says it was substituted with the simpler question when the men brought the woman caught in adultery. The question was, should we stone her, yes or no? Jesus, of course, 
answered the harder question, not the easier one. I found that very insightful, this challenge to go deeper, to not get trapped in the either or. Meyer goes on to write about the implications terms of our own lives and our own lives of faith of whether or not we're willing to grapple deeply and face the complex questions of our lives. He suggests the alternative to dualism and either or forced choice is the Trinity. Now, I didn't expect him to go to theology as he was doing this sociological analysis, but listen to what he writes. Jesus rejected duality, which divided people and pitted them against each other. Instead, he exemplified a better approach, a holistic approach. He lived and loved with all of his mind, with all of his heart, and all of his soul. It's the same trinity into which we were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then he challenges us with this. He writes, if we want to heal the divisions in our lives, in our families, in our churches, and in our society, we need to do as Jesus did and choose a Trinitarian life over a dualistic life. We need to stop reducing every complex issue to yes or no, right or wrong, good or bad, and instead seek to love wholly with all our mind and all our heart and all our soul. I love that he brought a theological answer to what normally we see as a political or sociological problem. I love this idea of avoiding the trap of either or, in and out, good or bad, and look for a third way. Lots of authors have written about that in terms of human relations. When you're trapped, when you're stuck, look for a third way. It may take longer. You may have to engage more deeply. You might become more vulnerable. But if you're trapped in a win-lose situation, wouldn't it be better to give a little more? To do as Meyer talks about and live a Trinitarian life. To see if God might lead us beyond being trapped in one way or another. You're in or you're out. Peter and the Jews in this example today, I think, are a great example of facing a dualistic choice. Jews or Gentiles faithful or not, in or out, God loves you or not, they reject it. Verse 47, Peter says, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter is busting through barriers that just a few days or weeks before he would have never considered encroaching upon. God has been at work in him to help him see with new eyes of faith that God loves the Jews and the Gentiles, the rich and the poor, people from different nations and different ethnicities, 
different practices, different customs, and different views, could they all be included in God's family of faith? Peter goes to preach the gospel to these Gentiles and bring them into the family of faith. And sure enough, they are changed by this love of God that Peter's found in Jesus and is sharing with them. But notice Peter and his buddies are changed too as they share about this love of God. This love works on their hearts and opens their eyes and opens their arms to people that they would have labeled as outsider, as religiously unclean, and probably as unworthy before this experience. Peter and his group have just realized that God's love is available to everyone, that God's power is available to everyone, that God's Spirit is working within everyone. It's a new idea to them that God might be doing this. Can you see that this is good news? It gives us a chance to think about people we label as other or bad or outside. It gives us a chance to think about those we become angry with and write off and try to quit caring about and go deeper to wonder, is God at work in them? How might God be working in their life? How might God want to use me to connect with them and do a new thing? I think Peter and his friends are being given new eyes of faith to see more than they could see before of God's work in the world. They're being given these new hearts to love beyond what they had believed was possible before. It leads them to cross over chasms and walls and barriers and boundaries and prejudice and politics because they're people of faith embracing other people of faith. But I want you to notice what happens right at the end. The very last sentence we read, then they invited him to stay for several days. Peter goes in as the one who's going to proclaim the Christian gospel and extend Christian hospitality to these others. But by the end of this story, what a surprise, what a turnabout. They're offering Christian hospitality to Peter and his friends. Surely God works in mysterious ways in our lives when we open ourselves to the power and the work of God's Holy Spirit. What about you? Where is God's love or God's Spirit leading you? To whom might you extend an invitation into the family of faith? May God's love bring you surprise and deeper understanding and the experience of shared hospitality. May it be so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.